I would just say that you know your child best. And if you feel there's an issue, then there is an issue, unfortunately. And then, you know, for goodness sake, follow it up. Don't keep leaving it. Just get it sorted. Uh, you know, do a sensory profile, I'd say, is probably the most important thing to do. Share it with relatives, childminders, nurseries, etc. Welcome to the Daily Naked Pair Podcast, brought to you by Rocco Blue, the first ever brand focused on supporting parents with special needs children. Naked Parent Nation is a group of parents with special needs children who are willing to get vulnerable, strip it all down, and take a look at ourselves, our parenting, our family, and our plans to create a life beyond our wildest dreams. On today's show, we'll be discussing learning through play. Hello, Naked Parent Nation, and welcome to today's episode of the Naked Parent Podcast. My name is Chad Ratliff, and I'm your host. And before I introduce you to our guest today, let me start by sharing our community's preamble. Naked Parent Nation is a worldwide community of parents raising children with all kinds of needs. We come together to share our naked truth, support our fellow parents, and inspire the inner growth that each of us needs to build the life and family of our dreams. For the parents that are struggling, we want you to know that we will love you until you can love yourself. For your children, we pray and send power from our collective group. As we come to understand our divine nature, we realize there's no need to feel sorry for ourselves, be angry, or feel lack. We come to understand that our feelings of limitation and separation are only in our minds. Through self-realization, we expand our consciousness so that the challenges that perplex us today dissipate one by one until until we're able to see and experience gratitude and beauty and everything just as it is. We have the power to create any kind of life we want for ourselves and our families. We do this by living in the naked present moment, one day at a time. Esther and Jerry Hicks call it the science of deliberation, and we call it the answer to all of our prayers. So before we get to our guest today, let's do a centering exercise Let's sit up straight and get the spine erect. And then just let your eyes softly close. And just take in how your body feels, the sounds around you. And we're gonna do a circular breathing exercise where we're gonna breathe in for six. We're gonna hold the breath for six and we're gonna exhale for six. And we're gonna do that three times. So start with me, breathe in, two, three, four, five, six, hold, two, three, four, five, six, exhale, two, three, four, five, six. Inhale, two, three, four, five, six, hold, two, three, four, five, six, exhale, two, three, four, five, six. Now do two more cycles on your own, just in your head.
and then just let your breath take over naturally without thinking about it with your eyes closed as I read an opening prayer for us. Heavenly Mother, Father, Friend, Great Spirit, Divine Consciousness, Wondrous Nature, and Saints of all religions, we come together as brothers and sisters on a similar quest to better understand ourselves, our divine calling, and how to best how to be the best version of ourselves and parents for our children. We ask for the guidance and the ability to accept life on life's terms. May each listener feel an inner sense of peace and calm in our hearts today. May we feel love and spread love. Om, peace, amen. So as you come back into the room, I'd like to introduce you to Ange Anderson, who's our guest today. She's an author of many books on therapeutic technologies, interventions in education, and much more. She writes novels under the name Angela Morgan. And today we're specifically going to be focusing on her book, Learning Through Play for Children with PMLD and Complex Needs. Ange, there's so much more to learn about you, but welcome to the show. Thank you for being with us. Thank you, Chad. Chad, I'm glad to be here. Thanks for inviting me. Yeah, so we're excited to... um, learn about one of your many expertise and that's, can you tell us a little bit about what birthed the idea for you writing this book, Learning Through Play for Children with PMLD and Complex Needs? I suppose if we go into my background, I was until just before the pandemic head of a special school for students aged between two and 11 with conditions ranging from PMLD, SLD, ADHD, complex needs, EBD, And 75% of those students had autism as a primary or secondary diagnosis. I introduced at that school the 25 different therapeutic and technological interventions and innovations that I obviously first researched extensively. And we were a leading specialist school in Wales because of the effect that they had had on our students. I'm now an SEN advisor um, for a global VR company. And I'm an advisor specialising in therapeutic and technological interventions for schools and for families. I've written books before this one on different aspects of the therapies and interventions technologies. I realised after writing those books that there was a big aspect that was missing from those books, which was how as a school we used play quite extensively as a means for learning because of the cognitive level that most of our students were at. Um, So they were at the play stage of learning, um, to be honest. Plus, if you read the book that I've written on play, you'll see as well that I do say that it doesn't matter whether you're a child or an adult. We learn better if we learn through play, you know? I like that. That was my reason for writing the book, is I felt that there was a book that was needed to explain why it is important to learn through a play-based approach to learning. Can you tell us a little bit about where your interest in, you know, neurodiverse individuals and all of these different areas came from for you personally? The interest in, in neurodivergence, I suppose, it's just because when I was teaching in a mainstream school, I was more interested in supporting students who had who were neurodivergent, and then I opened a special school um, myself. I was I was asked to head up a special school. It was brand new in North Wales, which is where I live now, 
because three special schools were closing. They were vastly different. One was a, a moderate learning difficulty school that had the biggest number of students, 250 or something students in that school. And then the other two schools were more for children who were, had PMLD. But the schools with PMLD had no resources, which just shocked me beyond belief. You know, and when I say resources, I mean hydrotherapy pools, I mean, I mean vibroacoustic therapy, I mean all the kinds of the reasons for those children to get up out of bed in the morning and go to school and think, great, this is what I'm going to do today. These are the opportunities that are there for me. They didn't have that. And then the moderate learning difficulties students, well, the majority of those would have been better off in a mainstream school. And so I was opening a brand new school that was for children who had severe learning differences, difficulties, profound learning difficulties, emotional learning difficulties and all the rest of it. So I needed to, I had to interview the staff that had been on these three schools already. Um, but some of the staff, they really didn't want to know about children with these huge um, problems. The three schools that were, uh, that were closing didn't really want children with autism at all. And they didn't want anybody that was going to be a problem. <laughs> they were fine with children who were in wheelchairs and who they could just, um, you know, handle or for want of a better word. And they were fine with children who had moderate learning difficulties because, to be honest, children with moderate learning difficulties are, they're so easy to teach. <laughs> they didn't want the problems that came with having children who had emotional, behavioural difficulties, who needed, I mean, a lot of the time, some, certainly in the past, not now, people thought of, of students with PMLD, profound and multiple learning difficulties, as being in a wheelchair most of the time and giving them physiotherapy. I am astounded, astounded that anybody would dare, they wouldn't suggest it to me, but would dare suggest that that is enough. And I'm also astounded by so many people who believe that inclusion is the best answer for students who have some of these difficulties, particularly those who have profound and multiple learning difficulties. Because if I saw somebody in a wheelchair stuck in a mainstream classroom and they thought, and the people teaching that class thought that that was inclusion and that was the best possible thing for that child, I would be furious because that child may well be better off being in a hydrotherapy pool, having vibroacoustic therapy, having innumerable different therapies that I was able to offer students so that they had a quality of life and they had something to look forward to. I know, for instance, that some of my students with profound and multiple learning difficulties would dread, dread a physiotherapist coming to the classroom to take them out for physiotherapy. And yet, if you showed them a card with a picture of the hydrotherapy pool, the excitement in them was beyond belief. If you showed them a picture of going to vibroacoustic therapy or music therapy or any of the other innumerable therapies we offered, they would be so excited. Their eyes would light up. And you don't anyone ever dare to tell me that students with profound and multiple learning difficulties don't understand and don't know these things because we don't know what's inside that mind of theirs. None of us know. None of us know their ability. I can remember one particular child, for instance, who came to us diagnosed as profound and multiple learning difficulties. We introduced him to eye gaze. He didn't have profound and multiple learning difficulties. Within 10 days of having eye gaze, he was telling the teaching assistant who was working with him to go and have a lunch. He didn't have profound and multiple learning difficulties. We do not know ourselves 
what anybody is thinking. We all have an inner world. We are born into two worlds, an inner world, an outer world. And the outer world is where we have to socialize and get on with other people and all the rest of it. And our inner world is what nobody else has to know about to a certain extent. It is our inside, it's what we think about. It's all these kinds of things that are important to us. And until we sort out our inner world, whether it's through therapeutic or technological interventions, then uh, until we sort it out, then we are not going to get on in the outside world at all. And in fact, sometimes people will choose to stay in their inner world because there's nothing on offer in the outer world. And unfortunately, that happens more and more for students who have profound and multiple learning difficulties because they get fed up of trying to interact because nobody understands their point of interaction. Sorry, that went on a bit there. No, if, you, if there was an audience here, I think you'd have a standing ovation right now. And I know our, our listeners are going to appreciate your passion. How hard is it to get resources for these kind of therapies because I, I haven't even heard of many of them that you're talking about. So how difficult was this to bring into that special school that you're referring to? Well, I constantly researched. My whole life is spent on ensuring, you know, that I've got, that I'm, I'm finding the key. That's what I'm all, always trying to find. What is the key that will enable this child to communicate or have the best quality of life what is the key? So I constantly research all different therapies, technologies, all the rest of it. And then I will only ever introduce ones that I have proven have worked. And then I will, tr I will fundraise. So a lot of your job as a head teacher is fundraising, making sure that you've got the funds. I, I mean, I managed to get the funds for a waterbed in the school and a, a charity gave us the, the, the waterbed. And then I fundraised to get the vibroacoustic therapy into the school. I went on the vibroacoustic therapy course, which is with all the ski lanes in Finland. So I'm obviously qualified in that and introduced it. But what you do then is you train your staff. You train your staff in it so that they can then deliver it. And you give your staff that empowerment, that feeling that they are qualified in something, they're trained in something that they can offer to other people, and they can make a difference to people's lives. So with vibroacoustic therapy, for instance, we would have students who had profound and multiple learning difficulties who um, suffered quite a bit of constipation. Vibroacoustic therapy would change that because vibroacoustic therapy is, the universe is made of vibrations. We all know that. So vibroacoustic therapy is tapping into these vibrations. So Olaf Skeeling, brilliant mind in the 80s. Um, unfortunately, he's dead now, but brilliant, brilliant person. So he invented vibroacoustic therapy. And then I, I can remember one of our boys, for instance. So with the PMLD, it worked in different kinds of ways. But with one of our boys with severe or challenging behavior of severe autism, he would find his lunch times very, very difficult. I'd given him an iPad and he was he, he quite enjoyed doing that during some of his lunch times. But other times it wasn't working. And because we'd introduced so many therapies and he knew them, I can remember him coming to me when he was about nine and um, coming to my room and just taking me by the hands and taking me to the vibroacoustic therapy because room because he knew that that would de-escalate. He knew he was heading for a meltdown and he knew that the vibroacoustic therapy was the therapy that worked for him. And that's what it's all about, is what works for one um, child isn't going to work for somebody else. It's about what works for that, that particular person. So the importance of play, I would say, for neurodivergent is that we had many students with autism who responded to routine and structure. 
teach stations, for instance, timetables, now our next cards. However, suddenly we had more students attending who had PDA, pathological um, demand avoidance, who couldn't cope with structure and routine. And I needed, well, we needed to find a way for them to learn that they didn't feel threatened by. The answer was learning through play. We'd already trained a couple of staff as play therapists through PTUK, and that required staff to have degrees already. And they delivered individual play therapy sessions that might include sand play or art therapy, small world toys, puppets, etc. And in school at that time, it meant that teachers volunteered to go and do that, although we did have teacher assistants with degrees, but the teachers volunteered and so we allowed them to go on the training. However, we did have some teaching assistants who didn't have a degree, but they still wanted to support students through play. And I was thrilled that we had teaching assistants who wanted to do this. And so we introduced something called VIP, which is called Venture Into Play, which if you do a search engine online, you'll find. Now, this is a very cost-effective way of delivering play therapy, okay? So our TAs could deliver it. So VIP was successful in delivering both individual play session skills as well as small group sessions. Lego therapy was another successful small group therapy session. And once again, staff were trained to deliver it. All very cost effective, these are. So we had both of these already active in our school and students could be drawn out of class to receive these interventions. However, students with PDA needed a full-time play approach to learning. No other way worked. If we were to look at the development of a child, we see why play is hugely important for neurodivergent children. And I go into that in detail in my book on learning through play. I had researched DIR, Developmental Individual Relationships, DIR floor time, and felt that this could be the answer for those students. And a couple of staff volunteered to go on the training for school-based DIR. Now, some of them were teachers, some of them were teaching assistants. And we introduced it into a specific class and the results were amazing. It sounds like a cop-out where staff just let students play, but it's so much more than that. It requires a lot of planning because the students still have the same individual education plans, but they have to be delivered through play, instigated by the student so that they don't feel they're being dictated to, but they remain in control of the situation. It was quite magical watching children who've been extremely disruptive in a structured class suddenly blossom because they were studying, for instance, the life cycle of a butterfly which was what they may have been climbing over chairs in their ordinary class to watch outside, whilst what was happening in the class held no interest at all as the butterfly had caught their attention. Creating an environment where the student can be successful is the important thing. The old adage, if a child can't learn the way we teach them, we need to teach the way they learn is so important. For the majority of students, they were able to eventually to return to a more structured class Yet some of the students remained in the cognitive level of a play approach to learning and other new students joined them as and when necessary. There is absolutely no use creating an individual behaviour plan when it is the environment that is causing the behaviour. We understand nowadays that certain sensory overloads for individuals can result in a negative response. 
It seems obvious if, for instance, you hear a baby crying continuously in a supermarket as you try to shop, that you could be forgiven for A, wishing they would leave, B, losing concentration on what you intend buying, C, have a headache, D, complain. But if you're a child in those circumstances, you might not have acquired the social skills needed to try and ignore that intrusion on your mind. And the behavioral approach may seem more apt. When we're stressed, we don't perform to our optimum. Sometimes busy classrooms can cause a sensory overload. And we've come a long way in our understanding of sensory overload. Ear defenders are common practice in many schools today. It makes sense, therefore, that every student entering a school doesn't just have an assessment of their academic ability. We need a sensory profile on every child. In, it is this profile that will determine how they learn best and what we need to put in place in order for them to learn best. Amazing. So for the parents and professionals that are listening, I've never heard about this in our community. How do we get play therapy in our schools? Well, I would say if you want a cost effective approach, go on a search engine and just look for venture into play. OK, so that's a cost effective approach for schools and it's a cost effective approach for parents. Parents can deliver this in the same way, in the same way that I've just mentioned DIR floor time. Again, there's a DIR floor time approach for parents. So it hasn't just got to be for schools. In both those instances, they can be done for parents at home. They haven't got to be done through schools. And I would say that a play approach to learning is just such a joyful approach. It just works, particularly for those with pathological demand avoidance. Very interesting. What are you working on these days? Is that what you're focused on? Is on play therapy or are you... No, I, on all kinds of therapeutic and, and um, technological interventions, to be honest, I would say that what I would try and promote, certainly for parents, is an individual sensory profile. In the book that we're talking about, what's it called, Learning Through Play, if you go to Appendix 3 in the book, it gives you the eco-psychologist Michael Cohen's 54 natural web-string self-evident senses and sensitivities such as, did you know, radiation senses, feeling senses, chemical senses, mental senses, sense of time, sense of mind, sense of consciousness. And then if you go on to the resource section, and there's 54 of those senses, if you go on to the resource section on page 120 in the book, there's a sensory profile template that you can use. So if you combine the two, appendix three, and page 120, you can write out your own sensory profile for your child that can help your family and others understand the needs of your child. So for instance, there's an auditory section on there. You may decide to fill in in that section that your child is easily distracted by background noises. That may inform a teacher or a childminder or even your, your parents, their grandparents or whatever, that your child would benefit from ear defenders or even from having AIT or FST therapy. Now, AIT is auditory integration training. FST is filtered sound training. Now, when you think of a person, for instance, if you think of yourself as a car, you've just been built as a car, and you're just on the production line going through the end. You're going to be given the tick-off sheet. You're all completed. 
But you know, and I know, that there's certain parts of that car that when you get it in your garage, is not going to work properly. So for instance, when a child is born, just think of the magic of that. Just think of all what's involved. And do you really think that every single part of that is perfect? So for instance, the brain from the ear to the brain, the auditory processing and all the rest of it, might not be working effectively enough. But if you give that child auditory integration training or filtered sound training, what they hear is all these different kinds of music tracks. But there's pieces of the music missing. And that retrains, believe it or not, and I know it works, it retrains that auditory channel between the ear and the brain into working. Now, there are lots of stories of the effectiveness of that. Berard invented it many years ago. Unfortunately, he's dead now, but what a brilliant Canadian. People have, have their lives have been changed. I know of, of one particular girl, for instance, who went there. I think she went to her when she was about 10. And she'd heard all of the drains and all on the way to school. She couldn't stand going to the beach with her parents because she could... The sea sounded like a monster to her. Her sounds were so out of sync. And it just so happened that Barad was in the same place as she was. And her parents, desperate for some solution, took her to him. She was diagnosed autistic. She wasn't talking, not communicating, anything. She went on to university. She's got wow. several businesses. This is all because she was lucky enough, her parents were lucky enough to find out what kind of ish sensory issues she actually had. So I would say to parents, the first most important thing to do as a parent, and the first most important thing to have in schools, to be honest, they do all these blinking um, academic profiles, and, and um, what they need is a sensory profile. So that we, so, and I would say to parents, do your own. Don't wait for school to do it, for goodness sake, you could be waiting forever. Do your own, suss out. What is it that you know, that my child, what, is, what are the sensory aspects? Have a look at the pages I've said in my book. Have a look at the sensory aspects that you think affect your child. What affect them? And then tell the people who you know are going to look after them for you, child, mind, a grandparent, whatever, or are going to have them in their class. And you give them that and you say to them, follow this. And if you see any changes and you want to change it, let me know and we'll, we'll change it. Or if you want to add some things that you've noticed to it, then add those things to it as well so that we can work together on a sensory profile template. So if a child has a sensory impairment, for instance, hard of hearing or visually impaired, then you probably have support service in the school for that. And this could be added to the profile. And I would say a sensory profile needs to be worked on, I would say, first and foremost by the parent, and then in addition to whoever is working with them, whether that's a school or whether it's childminders or whatever. So in a sensory profile, you'd record sensory related behavior when it occurs. So if you notice something's occurring, when, when something happens, write it down. Attention issues related to impaired sensory input, write it down. Challenges with focus or emotional regulations because of their sensory needs, write it down. Meltdowns, their impaired functionality, and where do they happen? Antecedents. And next we need to ask why. Is it an unmet sensory need that's causing this behavior? If, for instance, the reason the children shows, throws chairs is because they need a more proprioceptive input. So, for instance, you know, no one wants to see a student with pent-up sensory issues who's still working through the trajectory play schema. 
So the trajectory place schema is when they like to see how things move. Now, we all have schemas. So we're all born with schemas. So for instance, you've got a schema on going to a restaurant. You've built that schema over the years that this is what's going to happen when you go to a restaurant, this, 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 and this. And as you go to different restaurants, you slightly change that schema because, you know, it changes as you go to different restaurants. Well, there are play schemas and so on that happen when you do play. Now, children need to learn these schemas so they need how to react. So it's kind of like um, creating their own program, their own computer program in their brain, that they know that they can go to that when they need to address it. So when you go to the restaurant, you know that you can go to a certain place in your brain and you know what happens when you go to a restaurant. Well, we need to train some of our students in those kind of things. So like, for instance, some students will be stuck in that trajectory schema for ages. So you will get some students who throw chairs in the classroom and staff will be, Ooh, you know, behaving all the rest of it. Well, no, let's think back. They're still in the trajectory schema. If you'd allowed them to go and play base, uh, basketball before they came into school that day, and they were allowed to get rid of that trajectory schema before they came into class, you're not going to have those problems. Mm. You know, there's all these kind of things that we need to be aware of. So a sensory profile is vitally important, as is sometimes knowing where they are on the play schema. A student can form a maladaptive schema as a result of the schema not being properly um, directed because schemas become brain data that our students access, for instance, when they're told they're going to the dentist. They remember the last occasion. It may not be a nice thought, but it's an automatic thought. We develop the use of play therapy in our school, role play and virtual reality to help students move on from these maladaptive schemas but it takes time and it takes repetition so that they can adapt to the new schema that they're forming in their brain. But once sensory needs are met, students can focus more and they can then get into the right frame of mind to learn. So I'd say that, you know, for me at the moment, I'm so enthusiastic about parents trying to write out their own sensory profile. And if I need to write a book on that, then I will. But I kind of think that they know their children best and they will, if they think about it and they think about what is it that causes, are they always biting their cuffs on their shirt sleeves and so on? What scheme is that? What, are the, what is it that they need to still do? You know, there's all, all kinds of things that we need to, the sensory needs that we need to look into as to what will help that child to overcome that particular um, difficulty that they're having so that they're in a better place. They're in a better frame of mind. A lot of great information there. It's sort of hard. Like, so we go to your book and we start a sensory profile. That's, that's step one. And then yeah, how, do we, how do we learn what to do with that sensory profile? Well, I would identify with some of those things as to, you know, like for instance, if you're finding that they can't stand noises, well, then you would say with that, right, I need to get ear defenders and I need to get ear defenders in the home, but I need to make sure that when they go to my parents' house, there's ear defenders there. And if that right. means I've got to supply them with them because I don't want to lose the ones from my own house in case they have a meltdown when they're here because they haven't got them, then I'll get a, a set of ear defenders for my parents. And if I need them for my childminder, then I'll do that as well. Because at the end of the day, as long as I'm planning, as long as I'm ensuring 
that I've met those needs, then I know I'm not going to have a meltdown. I know that I'm not going to suddenly have a phone call from the child mind to say, you know, this has happened. Because it's always, always, always about planning and preparation. If you know about it, then you need to do something about it. It's no good knowing about it and thinking, oh, they'll have to manage there. If you know about it, you're the one failing because you didn't do anything about it. Okay. So it is about planning and preparation. It's always being prepared. And parents of students who are neurodiverse, particularly parents of students who have autism, know very well that unless they plan, they're, they're going to have problems, you know? For the educators that are out there listening but don't feel like the school administrators understand or are providing them with what they need to care for the kids, what do you say to them? How do, how do we get these therapies in school? Like, I mean, for example, the school that my child goes to, one of my children goes to, they wanted my child to go to another school because they don't want to have to ad adapt their school to fit my child's needs. So everybody's yeah, trying to push. We all know that, that, is, that um, education nowadays is, is not about children. It, you know, for children, if, if children can't learn the way we teach them, we need to teach the way they learn. And that is uh, right across the board. Um, and that means that you would have thought nowadays with all the curriculum changes that are happening throughout the world, to be honest, teachers would be able to do that. But they're still very reluctant to take on board any change because, as we say, that children with, who are neurodiverse, particularly children with autism, find it difficult with transition and adapting to change. Do you know what? Ordinary people don't like change either. They like things to stay the same and it's all so easy. And, all. and that's why the education system hasn't moved forward in hundreds of years. We are still teaching towards what Piaget said was the university. We're still teaching towards people being um, programmed towards university and the economy. And it's just ludicrous. It, it is ludicrous. I haven't got the answer to how individual schools, how you can ensure that your individual school, all I can say is, we sometimes get parents who we say troublesome parents, but they're only parents who want the best for their children. And I don't believe there is a troublesome parent. I believe that schools say they are when they know that they can't meet the needs that that parent is asking for. Exactly. And I think that it's still up to the parents to make a stink. Uh, in this country, it would be going to their your local MP, it would be going to the government, it would be making as much fuss as you can in your country, it might be the same. It, it might be different in different countries. But I would always say that parents know their child best. You've got this gut feeling and you know what's best for your child. You really do need to stick with it. And if you can't get those therapeutic interventions within school, then I mention loads in my different books. A lot of them are free. And I would chase up the free ones and I would get them sorted so that I, it's, it's onerous, I know, but I would find ways of ensuring that I managed to get them delivered within the home or if I had to get somebody from outside to come and deliver them. But I myself am never very keen on having to pay for these things, which is why I trained my staff in delivering all these things in school, because I wasn't going to pay for these. I, I mean, nowadays, for instance, I mean, we delivered virtual reality and I, I, I trained my staff in it. I researched all of it. Uh, my staff were amazing. I've got great technologists and all the rest. And we all trained in that and we delivered that. And the, the difference it made to the lives of children was absolutely phenomenal. 
I know now that there are loads of places within the UK where people are on the bandwagon and they're offering all of this and they're going into schools and delivering it and schools are paying them because schools haven't got the confidence to deliver it themselves. That upsets me because I do feel that you've got all this staff who are so willing to learn, who are brilliant, otherwise you wouldn't have them in your school. And they're the ones who need this expertise. They're the ones who need to develop these qualifications. So they feel really confident in themselves and good about themselves that they're making a difference, you know? So I would always encourage staff CPD. I would always encourage schools to train their staff in all these different therapies and technologies so that the school itself can fund itself. And what you do then is you're fundraising for all the bits and pieces that you need, all the resources that you need. You know, when you're, you're not fundraising, you've sent your staff on the training, you've had to find perhaps funding to send them off on the training. What you tend to do, you see, is you, you, one person will go off on the training. A lot of the time it would be myself. Sometimes it would be one of my assistant heads and so on. Other times it would be a member of staff who was really keen. And we would train up in these, but we would come back and then we'd train a load of other staff. So if one person was off sick, that student wasn't missing out. Because the worst thing you can do for somebody who is neurodivergent is for them to be expecting something and it not to happen. Mm-hmm. Now, you can explain and say, very sorry, somebody's away and all the rest of it. But you know what? It needs a lot of preparation for that. So you need to train up other people. And as well as that, if somebody suddenly moved on to another job or whatever, you can't afford to have nobody there to take over. So I always made sure whatever I was training them in, you know, music therapy is another one, you know, and there's a cheap way of doing that. There's, there are ways of getting around it so that you can provide all of these things in a very cost-effective manner. And I would say, in my books, I tell you to do that, to be honest. Um, and I would always say, go that route. I do feel sorry if people can't find schools where staff are keen enough to do this, because I'm sure they are keen. They just need the senior management to be as keen. Right, right. For the listeners in Naked Parent Nation, the, our steps here that we learned today is to go go to Amazon, get the book Learning Through Play for Children with PMLD and Complex Needs Using Purposeful Play to Support Cognition, Mental Health, and Well-Being. I would and, say go to my website is better. Okay. So that's Ange Anderson Therapeutics. So that's all one word, angeandersontherapeutic.co.uk. And it's got links to all of the books, and some of them are a cheaper way to access those books on Amazon. So just find a link that suits you and go to the link and, and purchase it that way. So all my books are on there. My links to um, YouTube are on there, where I, I tell you some more about different therapies and introduce you to all of them. It's all free. I don't believe in benefiting from any of this, you know? Well, we appreciate your wealth of knowledge and um I will put the website in the show notes so that people can go find that book and do the sensory test for your child and bring everybody into the know. Anything you want to leave our listeners in closing? I mean, you've left us with a lot to think about. Well, I would just say that you know your child best. And if you feel there's an issue, then there is an issue, unfortunately. And then, you know, for goodness sake, follow it up. Don't keep leaving it. Just get it sorted you know, do a sensory profile, I'd say, is probably the most important thing to do. Share it with relatives, childminders, nurseries, etc. And I would just like to say that I love the introduction to your shows, the breathing exercises, 
even more particularly relevant to me at the moment because of my bruised ribs. And it's part of the recovery process doing breathing exercises. And obviously, they're a brilliant precursor to meditation and focus as well. You know, I'm a great believer in meditation. We've used that with children with huge success. I just think you've got an amazing, amazing podcast. And um, I wish you every success with it. Oh, thank you so much. Well, I'd love to touch base down the road. You're you're such an active person. I mean, I'm re-inspired to, you know, be a better dad just being on the show with you. So I know our listeners probably feel the same. You exude some fantastic energy. So I want to thank you for being on the show with us today. And um, I'd love to touch base down the road and see what you're working on. Yes, I would too, Chad, because um, I will certainly listen to your programs from now on because I think you have um, such great programs on with really interesting um, people who come on and the parents are coming from the right place all the time Mm. um, with some great experience that they're they're feeding back to everybody and this is what it's all about so i'm so thankful thanks Ange. have a wonderful rest of your day and take care of your ribs (laughs) thank you all right thanks for all you do thank you This concludes our show for today, and I'd like to personally thank you for spending the time with us on a topic near and dear to our hearts. If you'd like to be part of the Naked Parent Nation and help us reach those parents that are struggling and overwhelmed, there's no better way to help than by subscribing, rating, and reviewing the show on iTunes. iTunes highlights the shows based on these metrics, And the more the show gets highlighted, the more opportunities people will have to be introduced to the show where they can hear that message of hope or that tip that can change everything. So follow the link in our show notes and we hope to have you back here tomorrow where we'll do it again. From the team here at the Naked Parent Podcast, we wish you the life you've always dreamed of and then some. So long. (laughs) 